Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is a Spawn Daily episode. We're up to issue number 50. And I know that I stopped the regular issues for a while. I went back and I was trying to backfill some of the other uh, early one shots and miniseries and whatnot that filled in before issue 50. And this is all courtesy of Blake Whitlow's reading order. As I talked about before, I went and read some of the stuff that was in that reading order and realized, man, it really affects or uh, adds context to what's happening in the regular series. So I decided to incorporate that stuff, but we're still going to do one, hopefully one issue per episode for the daily spawn of the regular series, but I'm going to be adding in a bunch of the other stuff. So you might not always get a regular uh, issue every day, but you will get something every day. Uh, and most likely most days you're going to get uh, an issue of the regular series for the other stuff. Like for example, Angela that I did recently or the violator series, I'm going to condense them all into one, you know, so if it's three issues of Angela, it'll just be one episode, three issues of violator, just be one episode spawn, Blood Feud, which is coming up, written by Alan Moore. It's four issues. It'll just be one episode. And that's just so that we can get done. <laughs> you know, we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of Spawn and Image Comics, and we want to be done. That's the whole reason we're doing this, uh, to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Spawn. So uh, that all being said, uh, you guys seem to really be enjoy enjoying this trip down memory lane for Spawn. As I said, I've never read Spawn in its completeness. I've always planned on it. 30th anniversary is a great reason and, you know, initially started with the idea of just doing the regular series. But again, uh, there's a lot of other great stuff out there from great creators. Let's, let's see their take on spawn. Let's see how it all ties in that way. We can be on board up current with all the spawn universe stuff that's coming out. Those three ongoing series from Todd McFarlane scorched, which is the team book King spawn and gunslinger spawn. So all that being said, Highly recommend the Blake Whitlow reading order. It's in the show notes like it has been for the past few episodes. And Blake's actually joining me here today. He's going to give us a quick rundown on his uh, his love of Spawn, talk a little bit about the reading order, and then we'll dive into uh, into issue 50. So, Blake, thanks for joining me, man. It's good to have you on the show. Hi, it's good to be here. Thanks again for inviting me. Um, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, so give us uh, some background. Did you, like... Were you picking up Spawn off the rack back in 1992? Like, when did you become a big Spawn guy? Uh, no, I was actually too young at the time. I was born in 91. Oh, so, wow. yeah, uh, I first found out about Spawn through a documentary uh, on the History Channel, talking about the history of comic books and its ups and downs, memorable moments uh, such as Watchmen and Death in the Family from uh, Batman and the killing joke and things like that. But there was a segment talking about in the early nineties, there was this movement uh, started by these comic creators uh, headed by this guy named Todd McFarlane <clears throat> to start their own comic company in direct competition with the two greats, Marvel and DC. And that kind of caught my eye, even as like a little kid, I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like they're striking out on their own, sticking it to the man kind of a thing. <laughs> and uh, they did a whole segment on Spawn and how his rogues gallery consisted of uh, not just 
you know, uh, these angels sent to kill him. Like, like he's not this pure demonic force or anything. He's this complicated character where, yeah, he's got the, the evil symbiote and he technically serves the devil and he's a demon, but he fights for good. And he's more complicated than that. And I'd never heard of something like that up to that point in my life. And I was like, wow, this guy's got layers. He, he's got good guys as his enemies. He's got bad guys as his enemies. He's got just regular people as his enemies. Like, what did this guy do to make him such a target? And uh, it, always, it always stuck at the back of my mind. And then later, later on, I actually started going to my local library and lo and behold, they had a comic section and a graphic novel section. And I started reading Spawn there and he's been my favorite ever since around 2010 or 11, I started uh, collecting uh, the regular issues, the single issues. And it's been a long journey to get what I have now. And uh then around that time, they started doing like digital comics and more trade paperbacks, uh, like the whole Spawn Origins collection. And I just got caught up. It took forever, but I got caught up. And uh, yeah, here I am. So what made you want to put the reading order together? Was it, I mean, have you read the, everything that's on that, that reading order? Not everything. The more recent issues, uh, I haven't had the chance to uh, catch up on. Uh, basically everything after, uh, 250, which was like the big homecoming for uh, a lot of different reasons, because I, I don't want to potentially spoil anything. I don't know what you do and don't know. And I don't want to like have yeah, any big fair. spoilers. So yeah, uh, around issue 250, a big thing happens and I kind of fell off, not because it was a bad thing, just because a lot of stuff in my own life kind of caught up and I haven't been able to dedicate the time to sit down and read it all again. Yeah, um, that's fair. Yeah. But you, you put the reading order together initially as a, a resource for yourself. Yes. And uh, I was so frustrated because I, you, you'd think that someone as big as Spawn would have a consistent reading order online, that some fan out there, you know, in the last 20 years would have put together a consistent order saying this miniseries goes here, this miniseries goes here. Right. There's so many miniseries. There's the whole Curse of Spawn mm -hmm. uh, maxi series. It's like 28 issues and that's all over the place. Right. There's some issues that take place like 800 years in the future. There's some issues that take place in the modern Spawn story. Some issues that take place before the modern Spawn story. And it's all over the place. Then there's the whole Dark Ages series. And there was just no consistent uh, timeline that I could find online. So around the time, uh, 2011, 2012, when I started reading it from beginning to end, I saw the little dialogue notes, the little editor notes in, uh, in the panel saying, for more information on this, read Angela miniseries. For more information on this, read the Blood Feud series. I was like, I don't have that. <laughs> if this was important, why wasn't it in the main series? And yeah. so that frustrated me that I couldn't find a resource. So it started off just as a resource for me. And, uh, and then I found a website called Spawn World. 
I think it's a fan run uh, website and it just has everything. And even there, I couldn't find a consistent uh, timeline. So I just, I posted mine and after a while it, I forgot my password. So I haven't been able to update that one. So I have this just Google doc that I've been trying to paste everywhere. So everyone has enough, you know, access to this resource. And uh, luckily when you type in spawn chronology or spawn reading order, I'm close to, you know, I'm like within the top 10 or something. Yeah, searches. Sure. Like it pops up on Reddit and uh, I'm just glad that so many people are, are benefiting from that resource now. So they don't, you know, miss any cool story elements or any cool lore or world building that happens in those mini series. Like I did. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great point because, like I said, where where I really realized, man, because I knew there was a bunch of other ancillary series and miniseries and one shots and whatnot, but you know, based on us trying to finish in one year, I'm just going to stick to the main series. And it wasn't until I went back and reread the Spawn Batman, which I had read off the rack back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, and and remembered about getting the battering in the face that sliced it, and we talked about it on several episodes about man it's crazy that just that bullet to the forehead in issue 20 cracked his face from top to bottom which wasn't the case at all and that was when i kind of decided i'm like man i really need to add in this other stuff because a lot of it is really important you know and to your point there's editor notes in the regular series that say go read this go read that and we were just we're trying to get by without it but i think it adds to the richness of the story and so yeah to your point i i went and looked for a good spawn reading order and i probably clicked on the top 10 like Google search results and looked at all of them. And I, I got to say like yours felt the most comprehensive and the most accurate. And it was the one that was being kept up to date. Some of them, they haven't been touched in, you know, five, six years. So, mm-hmm. uh, so it's a great resource, everybody, as I say, all credit to Blake here for putting that together. And there's a link in the show notes, or you can Google yourself, uh, you know, Google, just Google spawn reading order, Blake Whitlow, or look for it on Reddit. So you can find it that way. But let's go ahead and dive into to issue 50. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about kind of where we are or where we're coming from, because uh, it's been a while since we've talked about one of the, the regular issues here. Again, issue 50, pretty big milestone. You know, it seems crazy now that we're almost approaching 350. But back then it was a pretty big deal. And I've said it before on the show about how McFarlane was the one I'm not saying he didn't have late books because he did. But in terms of the amount of, of late books, he had the fewest. And in terms of just keeping the regular series going, you know, he he was the one that was moving along. I, I talked about uh, issue 27, how it crossed over with some of the other books. Uh, and for example, like Youngblood, Youngblood was on 10, you know, 17 issues for the, that's over a year. That's like a year and a half worth of comics. So McFarlane, he really was the one that was like, I've built this character i've built this story and i'm going to keep it going uh, and i'll credit to him for you know breaking the record longest running creator own book so uh that being said it was a big deal at the time spawn 50 you see the cover there by uh by mcfarland himself with the the 50s in the background and a little spawn symbol uh as we turn to the first page uh it's called choices the stories by mcfarland pencils are by and you can see there there's part two and part one the pencils in part two are by capullo McFarlane handles handles the pencils in part one. Inks are by McFarlane and Danny Mickey. 
Uh, letters by Tom Orzakowski, as always, and color by Brian Haberlin, Dan Kemp, Todd Broker. And he dedicates this particular issue to his uh, his wife and daughters, Wanda, Cyan, and Kate. And we get the, the summary there of 49, again, just to catch you up with where we've been. Um, Al had gone to visit Granny Blake last year. He worried for her safety. He still has everybody after him. Uh, you know, Vito Gravano, formerly known as Tony Twist, is still after him. He's got Jason Wynn after him. He's got, obviously, the forces of uh, Malbolgia, as well as uh, Angela and her, although she's not part of the, at this point, you know, we just covered the Angela miniseries. She's not part of Heaven's uh, Warriors anymore, but he, he still has Heaven against him. Uh, so there's a lot, there's a lot going on. He's still being attacked from all angles, and he's worried about Granny Blake. Now, we know that the clown has enlisted the age of uh, the aid of Jason Wynn to put pressure on Blake and to put pressure on Wanda and to buddy up with Terry as much as possible. And we've already seen some consequences of that. Al currently thinks that Terry has uh, turned his back on him. He's now helping the guy that ordered Al's death uh, when really all Terry's trying to do is get as close as he can to Wynn to solve the mystery of why Wynn was trying to frame him in the first place. So a lot of, a lot of twists and turns to the plot, a lot of complications. We know Cogliastro has uh, broken into Spawn's personal asylum. You know, Spawn had gone to his buddy, Bobby, the homeless guy, and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go underground for a little while. I'm telling everybody, I tell everybody I've left, but I'm not really leaving. I'm going into hiding. I, I have some stuff I need to deal with. And we know that it's because his costume has started to evolve and it's taking over and building on the evil potential that uh, that Al Simmons has. And when there's not enough evil from Al coming, it uses the worms. And so Cogliostro showed up last time, rescued Al from the uh, the costume, like literally swallowed Cogliostro and then vomited in and, and vomited him back up. And that was when Al finally admitted, he's like, uh, I need your help. Like he's finally turned a corner in, in a way like Cog, hey, I, I need your help. Now, meanwhile, Wanda had been sick. She gave that sickness to Terry, and it didn't seem to be anything other than like a common cold, maybe the flu. Uh, but it has been affecting Terry more, the implication of being working long hours. But he actually passed out at his desk on the computer uh, one time. And now, at the way the last issue ended, 49, a little bit of a cliffhanger, Terry was driving, and he passed out while driving, got hit by uh, a delivery truck, and he's being rushed to the hospital Wanda got the call at the end of last issue. We also saw, saw Cygor, the cybernetic gorilla, still heading toward New York, uh, mumbling the name Simons. So why, why the heck is he looking for Al? You know, why is he looking? And what does he have to do? We, we have no idea. That hasn't played out at all yet. So the only other thing I'll mention is Sam and Twitch have been fired from the NYPD. They struck out on their own to start their own detective agency. And they've gotten some information from a mysterious witness or somebody who seems to want to um, put the screws on some of these people that were implicated in the file that Sam and Twitch had that implicated Chief Banks in all this nefarious stuff. But when they turned it over to the reporter and had it published in the newspaper, all the rest of the stuff had been whitewashed. The only one who took the fall was Chief Banks, who ended up committing suicide. Sam and Twitch want to know, well, it named a lot of other high profile people, why did they get let off the hook, basically? And this guy who slipped some information under their door of their new detective agency would seem to know why, but 
they haven't been able to hook up with him yet, have no idea who he is. So that's kind of where we are. Um, how familiar, how, how much do you remember kind of this early era of, uh, of Spawn, Blake? Does, does all this stuff ring a bell for you? Uh, this does. I don't remember so much of the uh, Sam and Twish portion, but all of the stuff concerning Al and Terry and Wanda, all of that stuff is still pretty crystal clear. Yeah, I mean, that that triangle is it's all throughout this, you know, the first 50 issues. It, it's all mm-hmm. a big part of the driving force of the story. So uh, anyway, let's go ahead and dive into the story. As I said, Terry's been just been in this accident. He's being rushed to the hospital. Um, and when he gets there, uh, they wheel him off to get x-rays or whatnot. As Wanda shows up, she goes to the front desk. Hey, you know, where's my husband? He's been in a car accident. They say, okay, he's on the second floor. Uh, he'll be out of x-rays, uh, the x-ray in, in just a few moments. You know, you can take a seat. She obviously doesn't wait. She runs off. She's all freaked out. And you don't really blame her. I mean, she's already buried one husband at a, a young age, under 30. So it's not too long before she's in the hospital room with him. And the doctor's saying, ah, you know, it seems like he's going to be okay. Um, you know, the seatbelt and the airbag did their jobs. But we, I just want to keep him a little longer for observation. And we'll get the results of the CAT scan that was done last week. And Wanda's like, wait, what? Because Terry never told her about passing out at his computer and never told her that he'd gone to actually had some get some tests. So you can see him there. He's got the expression on his face. He looks like the cat that ate the canary. He's like, oh, Wanda, I didn't I didn't want to worry you. I'm always looking out for your best interest. And, you know, she's there hand on her on her hips going, what, you think I get kooky? Um, <laughs> and the doctor's like, I didn't mean to start anything. It's just, it's standard procedure. Let's wait for those results of the, the test. I put a, a rush on it and we'll probably keep him overnight just for observation and, and make sure that everything's okay. So uh, Wanda and, and Terry kind of make up there in that the last panel in the bottom right there. Um, he apologized for not telling her. She's like, I'm sorry, I overreacted. Um, I'm just, you know, I was just scared that I was, uh, you know, going to lose you. So meanwhile, back in the alley, uh, as I mentioned, Spawn finally admitted to Cog that he needs help. So Cog is kind of explaining about the way that the symbiotes work, how they eventually, over time, start to uh, start to change, the metamorphosize. But it usually takes years for that to happen, and it usually only happens once it's been bonded to the host for a long period of time, and they they sort of start living their lives in sync. The opposite, literal opposite has happened here with Spawn and his symbiote because Cogliostro is saying uh, when you got ripped apart from your symbiote, which normally doesn't happen, um, that actually started it uh, down that evolutionary path. And that, you know, typically doesn't happen. And so all of a sudden your costume feels like it's lost. And when things are lost, you know, it's an animal like anything else. It just wants to go home. And so I was like, wait, so you're saying it wants to go back to hell. It's like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. And since you're attached to it, you know, you're going to be taken along for the ride. So spawns like, well, what, you know, what should I do? What, what are my, what's my recourse here? And, and Cogblaster was like, well, you need to realize that it feeds off the, the evil that's that's in you right not to not to say you're evil but the potential for evil so when you lose your temper when you do bad things that's when it feeds off it and when it doesn't get that from you that's where the worms come into into play so 
you got to figure out a way to let things go. You know, you got to figure out a way not to be angry and act out of instinct all the time. Um, and just try to be, you know, more at peace, which, I mean, this isn't the easiest thing for anybody to do, let alone Al Simmons, who's got all these forces aligned against him. you know, like I, like I was saying earlier. Um, and so Cogdowser gets up to leave and Spawn's like, well, before I, before you go, I got to know one thing. Like, how do you know all this stuff? Like, who, who are you? And this is a big revelation that is dropped here and then not mentioned, at least for the next few issues that I've read. Um, but he says, yeah, uh, I'm a reflection of you, Al. We're the same. I'm a spawn. But he doesn't, I mean, he looks human. Yep. <laughs> uh, and he doesn't have problem. a symbiote. But what I wonder, and obviously we don't want to spoil, but what I wonder, mm-hmm. we'll see what you can tell us, Blake. What I wonder is, so Spawn is able to transform himself. You know, granted, he can't make himself look like an African-American guy. We know he always ends up in the surfer body. Mm-hmm. But who's to say this isn't Cog in his transformative form? Right. Yeah. So, uh, again, no spoilers, but uh, there will be some payoff to all of these little hints and clues and nuggets of information that are dropped off. The writing for the first hundred issues is so solid. And Todd McFarlane just does a phenomenal job at including just the right bits of information at just the right time. The pacing between all these issues is so well done. Um, And and like I said, it, it all culminates eventually. Like, like if, if you're ever wondering, man, when, it, when are we going to get some payoff to this thing? Just, just hold on. Just hold on. You will get payoff for everything eventually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a really good, um, it's a really good point you make because, and we've talked a lot about this, about how McFarland doesn't get enough credit. Like, I think a lot of people talk about how, how expositional he is. And, and uh, we, you know, we've even talked about it on the podcast several times about how he, uh, he over explains or he says stuff that's in the art that, that maybe doesn't need to be there. But in mm-hmm. terms of the actual plot, you know, I don't, I still don't think Spawn as a, as a series gets enough credit for how, how good it really is. So yeah. And, and dropping these little hints and then, yeah, they, they pay off maybe at a much later time. Yeah. And there's uh also something I wanted to mention before how uh, a Terry and Wanda inside of the uh, emergency room, there's so many of these just domestic moments throughout uh, the series that just make you attach to these characters. Like these characters are not supernatural. Supernatural things are happening around them. They're technically not even the main characters. Spawn, Al, he's the main character, but you're still super emotionally invested in what's happening on those pages with those characters because the writing is that good. You know, it's talking about things that everybody deals with in relationships on a day-to-day basis. Am I communicating with my partner enough? What, you know, should I keep this from my partner? There's just like this, just some solid writing, just good writing where, where he knows how to capture those domestic moments that everybody universally can relate to. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder, um, because we know this is somewhat, you know, not that Todd McFarlane has been killed or is a hell spawn. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but there is some autobiographical stuff. I mean, oh yeah, uh, McFarlane is <laughs> his wife's name is Wanda. Uh, you know, his daughter's name is Cyan. He, he does pull some some things from you know his his everyday life, and so I've always wondered how much of this relationship between uh, Terry and Wanda, you know, how much of that is is autobiographical as well. So, yeah, um, I believe in issue number ten. Uh, Spawn was killed by Angela and then he yep. kind of goes to like this weird dimension and it ends up being just sort of like it's very much Todd McFarlane talking to his audience and and plot wise it's kind of you know all over the place but I remember it being just like a common critique on the comic book industry there was like a, a, a double page spread of like you could see Spider-Man's arm and yep. Batman's arm and the Hulk's arm reaching out of this cage. And the whole thing was just like a symbol of, you know, the comic industry holding back like the potential of these characters. And then there's just like the line of comic book artists and writers who are, you know, have the bags over their heads, like they're under control or something. But at the end of that issue, like, like he just takes the mask off entirely. And it's like, okay, I'm Al this is what my actual wife Wanda looks like. This is what my actual daughter Cyan looks like. It's just so, it's just so open and honest. It, I don't know, like a lot of the trade paperbacks don't include that issue for a number of reasons. And yeah, I, would think, I wonder yeah. if it's because it's, it's so just straight in your face or if there's some sort of like rights issue because other characters are featured in it. Yeah. Service is in it. It was written by Dave Sim. We did talk about it last December. Uh, yeah. It's a good point. Um, it, it, Todd does kind of lay himself bare and it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting uh, for sure. The other thing that's talked about here, um, you know, Cog mentions the symbiote being ripped away from spawn and maybe that causing uh, an issue, you know, that happened. I can't remember the exact issue number, but it was when Curse was trying to figure out, hey, what makes you tick as a Hellspawn? I want to steal your power and whatnot. So that's kind of interesting uh, as well. So many things with Spawn, with Al, the Al Simmons version of Spawn, even though there's been so many other Spawns, Medieval Spawn, Gunslinger Spawn, Cogliostro himself as a Spawn. There's just something unique about, and it's always been portrayed this way since issue one, there's something unique about this version, you know, the Al Simmons version of Spawn, which I, I find to be fascinating as well. Again, McFarlane adding in uh, a lot of the uh, kind of these compelling reasons and keeping the narrative going. So uh, as we turn the page here, we see that uh, just again, another domestic scene, as Blake mentioned, uh, Cyan's eating, making a big mess. We see Wanda there leaving to go to the hospital. She cleans her up and specifically talking about how she's beaming and the birds are singing and the sky's blue and everything's great. Terry's going to be fine. Obviously they're, they're pretty excited that he, he survived the car accident and everything seems to be going well. And then they get the results from the test seeing that he got. And this is where I, it gets a little wonky, but you got to forgive McFarlane. He's not a doctor. Uh, but the doctor comes in and he does say, hey, we found a growth on, on the base of your brain and it's a cancerous tumor. The size of an orange. <laughs> yeah, the size of an orange. Now, this is where it gets, like I said, a little wonky because the doctor then says, they're like, okay, it's at the base of your brain. We don't, you know, we probably can't operate. 
and want to say, you know, can you take it out? Well, that's what we're trying to determine, but we need to, we need to find out if it's malignant first. Okay. So (laughs) as far as medical terms go, malignant and cancerous kind of mean the same thing. (laughs) Well, not kind of, they do, they do mean the same thing. So he, what the doctor should have come in and said was we found a tumor, not a malignant tumor. Malignant means you've already diagnosed it. You've already biopsied it and it's cancer. Yeah. So it's kind of wonky here because he, he, Terry even says, well, what are my options? Well, we need to run the, do a biopsy and determine its rate of growth and whether it's malignant. We already said it's cancerous. So we already know it's malignant. Otherwise you just say it's a tumor. So again, it's, it's kind of wonky, but obviously anytime you hear, Hey, you have a tumor in your brain, you're, you're going to be scared. Right. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not good news. And I'm then, not a doctor either, but, uh, I, I was under the impression that there was like benign or uh, malignant tumors. Yes, where, exactly. Yeah. So benign meaning that, you know, you could remove it and then it's gone for good. But if it's malignant, that means that it's going to always come back. It's 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 never going to go away. It's yeah. Well, that's the thing about about a, a cancerous, you know, once like again, the word malignant and the word cancerous mean the same thing. And the problem with malignant tumors or cancerous tumors is you go in there and you hear this expression all the time. You go in there to remove it and you hope you've got it all. And we're talking about when you, you've got it all, you've got every single cancerous cell. You've got every single malignant cell because all it mm-hmm. takes is one. If you miss one cell, then that yeah, cell multiplies and becomes two. And then two becomes four and four becomes eight. And that's when cancer comes back. That's what's happened. You didn't get every single, single cancerous cell. And obviously that's extremely hard to do. So, you know, you try to cut around the tumor and take as much tissue around it. So you try to get it all. Um, but yeah, anytime you hear you have a tumor in your brain, yeah, if it's benign, then then the question becomes, okay, well, can we remove it? Should we remove it? Sometimes you'll want to remove it because even though it's not cancerous, it could still be growing mm-hmm. uh, and it's going to cause issues, it's going to cause brain damage, it's going to cause pressure in your skull. Like there's a lot of things to be um, considered, but Again, McFarland's not a doctor. You just kind of take this stuff with a grain of salt because the next thing we find out, the doctor does say, uh, this area represents the cancer, but we need to find out if it's um, if, if it's malignant or not. Then he says, you got a cold, which was caught by, by a virus, and then the cold developed into pneumonia, and the pneumonia triggered latent cells of cancer to grow. Okay, that's not a thing either. either. You can't get cancer from pneumonia because they're like, yeah, it seems like he, you kind of had this tumor. You're probably born with it, like millions of others. Like, Mm -hmm. no, that's not like catching a cold just triggered it. Yeah, that's not that's not a thing either. So is Um, Terry never caught a cold before? That's how I'm reading this. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't. It's not so. But I mean, again, he's not a doctor. You take out the greatest. I'll just be like, okay, he got cancer for whatever reason. It's at the base of his skull. It, it's not good news. They can't operate and they're trying to figure out what they can do. They're trying to figure out its growth rate. And there's some a series of procedures they say that can slow it down. Now, typically, if this were you know real life and somebody has a, a brain tumor, uh, you're probably going to treat it with radiation because um, chemo doesn't work too well on cancer in the brain. It can work on other areas, but obviously- and this is juxtaposed against that domestic scene that we had earlier where Wanda was leaving her house and, you know, in the greatest of moods. And now all of a sudden, no, Terry may not have that long to live. And they don't, they don't know how long, like yeah. everything is, is still up in the air. So Wanda goes back home 
and takes cyan to a neighbor, which I thought was kind of weird. So she can crawl in her house and collapse and cry. Uh, seems kind of weird. I mean, she seems to be a really good mom. I don't really see her go like, go put cyan down for a nap and cry. But anyway, the reason is uh, sometimes, you know, especially in traumatic experiences like this, you wouldn't want your child to see you in a certain kind of situation. This, oh, yeah. If Terry dies, like, like from Wanda's perspective, if Terry dies, that's her second husband in less than five years oh, that yeah. has died. And, you know, I mean, obviously you can see, you know, in the, in the panel right there and, and all through the issue, like she is absolutely wrecked. Like as soon as she gets any kind of good news, the world comes crashing down around her. And, you know, sometimes you just need some space, not have the kids around. So you can just have a good long cry break down, be vulnerable in a safe space so you can actually muster enough strength for the coming challenges. Yeah. So that's I, how I, I interpret it. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's valid just as a parent. I just, I, I just wonder, like, go put her down for her nap and then you can have, or take her to grandma Blake. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's real close with her neighbors, but speaking right. of grandma Blake, uh, Spawn decides to go uh, talk to her, you know, after hearing what he heard from Cogliostro and He's um, I think that he sees Grandma Blake as kind of his one touch. Like she's the one person that actually and maybe it's because she's blind, uh, mm-hmm. but she's like the one person that actually believes it's him. Right. Like like Al had, at this point, he's told Wanda and he's told Terry and they don't believe that he's actually Al Simmons. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's 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 somebody from his old life. It's like a connection that he he still has. Um, so as they're talking. And again, it definitely seems like Al's just trying to have some of that old life back, some of that old familiar banter. Uh, Granny Blake mentions that Terry's dying and Spawn's like, Terry, wait, he's dying. Like as much as Spawn currently believes that Terry betrayed him and, and he's angry at Terry for marrying Wanda and having the, the child that he couldn't give Wanda, uh, you know, there's still, there's still some emotion there, you know, it still was his, his best friend. So when we shift back to the hospital, we see that Terry is, uh, he's starting to feel the effects, which I, it's, it's so coincidental, but you know, like he was feeling fine and smiling or whatever when he didn't know he had cancer. And, and now all of a sudden he, he knows he has cancer and it's, he's taken a turn for the worse. I guess it's the whole idea of mind over matter when he, yeah. when he wasn't aware of it. Part of me is wondering if there's like time skips between some of these panels and then it's actually taking place over the course of a longer period of time. Well, yeah, I mean, it does say later, later this week, uh, later that week. So yeah, uh, often, often when we flip back and forth to the hospital, it's always a few days that have gone by, but spawns there um, in the shadows as Wanda's sleeping, watching over Terry. And he's kind of, he's kind of torn, you know, he's like, mm-hmm. he's so angry at Terry again, because he feels that Terry betrayed him. I mean, as much as it hurt Al Simmons to see his wife and Terry together, he did appreciate that Wanda was happy and was finally able to be a mother like she always wanted. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until, you know, Spawn was attacking Jason Wynn and Terry came in and saved him that Spawn really felt like Terry was a traitor. So that's more than anything what's come between them. And so uh, as Terry opens his eyes, sort of sensing that Spawn's there, Al's like, oh, you know, I could use my powers to, to help save him, but 
but why would I? Why, why should I go to hell? You know, Cogliostro has told him, if you use your powers based on the state that the symbiote's in right now, you're going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. And so Spawn's like, why am I here? Am I here to gloat? You know, I, I just saved Terry not too long ago. We're told that happened at issue 24. Um, so why did I help him there? And now I'm not willing. Does, is, is it about the extent of the sacrifice? Like he was, he was willing to give up some of his energy to save Terry before, knowing he'd stay on Earth. But now if he's, he helps him, he's going to hell. So, yeah, he, he's not sure. He's got mixed feelings, and that causes him to, uh, to leave. So, um, <clears throat> Again, we're back. This, oh, oh, go ahead. Um, I think uh, this little scene here where he's in the hospital trying to decide if he should or shouldn't help Terry is uh, it's very revealing on on uh, the part of Al and where he is mentally, you know, like uh, it's brought up time and time again, how Spawn was kept in hell for five years unknowingly and then came back to a radically changed world. And it's just interesting that he doesn't try, like he's so wrapped up in the things that are constantly happening to him, you know, on a day-to-day basis, he's got new enemies to fight. He's got new problems to solve. He's got all this stuff constantly happening that he doesn't have time to sit down and think for a moment. Well, what about them and what they were going through during that time? Like from their perspective, what was this like? So like a rational person would be like, oh, they thought I was dead. It's not their fault. They don't know that Jason Wynn murdered me. Like I know that Jason Wynn murdered me, (laughs) that he sent someone to kill me. So, you know, how can I fault them for not knowing what I know? You know, Al has like more information about the situation that they don't and he doesn't make the connection he he it's almost as if he assumes that they already know the truth and that everything that's happening to him in this situation is malignant that's why he or, or malicious uh it you know like like uh you said uh al thinks that terry betrayed him like it was an intentional betrayal that he stole wanda that he works for the enemy win you know but but you know we see the real truth of it on you know that more domestic side of things from terry and wanda's perspective Al's dead they have no idea what's going on behind the scenes all this supernatural stuff is in the background for them and it's only just now starting to cross over more directly into their into their daily lives and uh, here Spawn just shows again that he is not in a place where he can look at things from other people's perspectives and actually look at a larger scope of events. He's still stuck in that instinctual reaction mode. Yeah, he, the thing about Al Simmons, as, as much as we're told he's a hero and he has a good heart and what have you, despite the fact that he was very good at killing if there's anything you can say about him in the first 50 issues, he's very self-centered. He's very narcissistic and mm-hmm. maybe rightfully so having gone through this you know, experience of being dead for five years, coming back as this hell spawn, not human, not even having a human body, his body being made out of necroplasm and what have you. But it's not that he doesn't see it from Terry and Wanda's perspective, because clearly he doesn't, but it's like, he doesn't try even try and maybe isn't even aware that he can't 
or is incapable or, or, you know, it's kind of interesting, but it does flip here. Uh, and it happens in this, in this issue. And yep. it's sort of part of the, the evolution of, of him as a character. So a couple more days go by, we're told, and Wanda's shown up to, uh, to visit Terry once again in the hospital. Uh, but this time things have definitely taken a turn for the world. We're told that, uh, Terry basically had, uh, he lost consciousness and they were able to bring him back. He slipped into a coma, but his brain went a couple minutes without oxygen. So in addition to the tumor, now he's got brain damage from lack of oxygen. He's hooked up to life support. They can keep him alive indefinitely, but uh, he may never come out of it. And obviously Wanda is, is, Again, like Blake was saying, she's already lost one husband and now she may lose a second within five years. This one, the not only her husband, but the father of her daughter. And so it's uh, it's pretty traumatic. And even if they, he does wake up, you know, he probably won't even know who he is. He may not be able to breathe on his own. He may be paralyzed or so much they don't know. Mm-hmm. And he still has cancer. So uh, obviously, Wanda, you know, she's there. She's distraught. She's crying. And she's not sure what she's going to do. Meanwhile, Spawn is, um, he's reflecting. Al Simmons is, is reflecting and he's thinking about how if Terry does die, Wanda is going to bury her second husband by the age of 29. And, you know, bad enough that she lost a husband in the line of duty. Now she's going to lose another one to cancer. You know, how how is she going to navigate this? And Al is thinking back to the promise he made to Wanda on her honeymoon, that he would always do whatever he could to keep her happy forever. That, that was the word he used. I will do whatever I can to keep you happy forever. And so that is the driving force, you know, the love that he has for one. He obviously can't come back as Al Simmons. You know, he's this grotesque hellspawn, but maybe she doesn't have to lose a second husband. And so despite what Cogliostro told him uh, and despite his own feelings believe and his own beliefs currently that Terry has betrayed him, he decides that he's going to try to use his powers to, to heal Terry of, of the cancer. So Terry sort of senses uh, Al there spawn there as he starts using his powers. And uh, we see him kind of reach up and, and snag the shoelace that has been holding Al's head together for the last 25 issues. Plus, uh, and he actually wakes up as the power is coursing through him. Uh, and he says, Al, uh, and Spawn's rep- reply is, I used to be, um, and there's a big flash of green light. And all of a sudden, all the alarms start going off, code blue, you know, no heartbeat, no breathing, what have you. And so all the nurses go running over with a crash cart. And the reason all the alarms went off is because Terry's not in bed anymore, hooked up to all the sensors, because... He has been cured, but Wanda, maybe the flash, maybe seeing Terry get up out of bed. We're not exactly sure. She's passed out. And uh, and Terry says, "Uh, can somebody help me with my wife? She's fainted. And that's the way um, part one ends. So uh, like I was saying, it's a pretty big step for Al to take where he's he finally stops thinking about himself, because even as much as he's loved you know, expressed his love for Wanda and how much he still loves Wanda and wishes he could be alive and be with her. It's always been because he loves her. It's what he wants. And finally he sets that aside and makes the ultimate sacrifice so that 
he can make sure that Wanda's happy. Like it's always been, at least from my perspective, Al loves Wanda. And so that's why he came back. It's never been about what's best for Wanda. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a few times there was the one issue early on where he was outside the bedroom and he had that um, memory uh, that he got from the place they built out of necroplasm that the U S government had built out of necroplasm. And he kept that one memory of when he proposed to her um, and he, he was outside their, their bedroom and he, he shared it with her. That wasn't like maybe the one other time, uh, but it wasn't to this extent where he was kind of putting her feelings first, but it definitely feels like a, a turning point. Um, but yeah, it took 50 issues to get there. At the very least it, it clearly spells out what his motivations are. He isn't doing good because it's the right thing to do. He isn't doing good, you know, for any sort of moral justification that he finds. He's doing good because it benefits Wanda. And that's, I mean, that, that, that spells it out right there. Like he's still thinking, he's, he's almost idolizing her. He's putting her on this pedestal where she's this pure, perfect, you know, unblemished thing and no wrong could befall her. And if it does, then watch out. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely an, an interesting uh, perspective. So uh, as, as part two starts, we're given some information about souls and about how just because you're supposedly good or bad, it doesn't have anything to do with where you end up. Um, you know, at, at that moment when you die, your soul comes out of your body and it's at that moment that your final judgment or your destiny, there's two outcomes, heaven or hell. Um, but it, again, it's not, it's not in terms of, of good and evil, right? Like there's this eternal war that's coming and heaven will pick you or hell will pick you. And it's, it's not based on how good you were or how bad you were. Mm-hmm. Um, the decisions made to prevent the other side sometimes, well, that guy would make a really good soldier. We can't let the other side have him. So uh, it's, it's kind of interesting the way that, that it works. And we've, we've talked about it before throughout the series, how just because you're on the heaven side doesn't mean you're good. Just because you're on the hell side doesn't mean you're bad. Um, and that's reiterated here by, uh, by McFarlane. And I also mentioned, don't forget part two uh, that we get here is drawn by Capullo, which I, I think he does a fantastic job. Um, definitely you can see in the background on these sort of um, psychedelic pages here that it's, it's definitely computer coloring. Uh, and it definitely harkens back to issue number one, when Al first comes back to uh, the real world. Uh, the, that first issue was pretty trippy. There's lots of panels, lots of full pages where it's just like, you're not entirely sure what's happening, but the art is absolutely great in how everything links up together. Like you said, psychedelic, that's exactly the word. It's yep. very, it, it's all over the place. It's very abstract. And, you know, that that's all happening to him in this sort of like weird supernatural you know, way it's, you know, it's beyond our understanding because it's such an alien sort of world and mythology. Yeah. The other thing being reminded of, uh, you know, the way that it works, haven't, you know, not, not, we're not following traditional Christianity here where, Hey, you got to be good to go to heaven. If you're bad, you'll go to hell. 
you could end up either, you know, either place based on, you know, who wants you, who, who, who's recruiting your soul basically. Yep. Um, so the other, we check in on the clown here. That's the other, the other aspect of this. And he's so happy that uh, he can't sense Al on, on earth anymore. He's like, Oh, he's gone. He did it to himself. The doofus. He used his powers when he shouldn't have. And now he's gone back to hell. Um, but it doesn't take very long before uh, he makes a realization. He's like, wait a minute. Um, if he did it to himself, that doesn't reflect well on me. Mal Bulge is just going to wait another century or two and recruit another spawn. I didn't get to discredit him. I didn't get to defeat him. I didn't get to look good in Mal Bulge's eyes so that, uh, you know, the uh, Fibliac brothers would be the ones that are leading hell's army. Um, I've got to find a way to prove once and for all that humans are not, you know, the ones that should be generals and lieutenants in the army. And we're told that he's got uh, an idea of just where to start, but uh, we won't see that come to fruition for uh, a few issues. Meanwhile, back at the hospital, again, a few days have gone by and a doctor's telling Wanda that they've run some tests and the cancer is all gone. They can't explain it. He's 100% cured and it's time for him to go home. So Wanda obviously overjoyed and we do see Terry go home. Uh, and there's a big surprise party waiting for him there with uh, with friends and family. Um, and then later that night, as he's dreaming, he remembers Al coming to visit in, in the hospital. And, you know, he's almost like he's being haunted by him because, you know, Al basically put his power into Terry uh, to heal him. And so it's not very long before Terry goes to uh, speak to Granny Blake and Granny Blake mentions that Al comes to visit her. He's an angel. He has powers. And Granny Blake's the one that, you know, encouraged Al to go and heal Terry. So um, Terry seems to be coming around to believing that uh, Al and Spawn are, are one and the same. And Al made uh, Al is, is responsible for his uh, for his recovery. So uh, we do get a couple of great uh, pages from Capullo here now that spawn has reappeared in hell he's actually i think on the fourth second level uh is where he appears originally uh remember there's nine levels and there's not a whole lot to to what happens here other than al's basically going to take a journey through hell and eventually uh confront malbolgia um so the first level here we're told it's, you know, this empty wasteland and there are these creatures there that basically feed on necroplasm, which is what Al happens to be made out of. And although they don't like visitors, they are sort of dependent on them um, or they end up having to eat themselves in some sort of cannibalistic way because that's the only way they can sustain themselves. So Al has sort of resigned himself to the fact that he's back here in hell. He no longer will have a chance to uh, ever be with Wanda. You know, he made that sacrifice. He made that conscious choice and he's happy to live with that. And so he decides to just give up and he's going to let these monstrosities eat him basically. Um, but maybe because he's who he is and he has a temp, maybe it's his years of training Um but as he's being attacked, as his head made of necroplasm, again, is about to be bitten off and, and chewed on for dinner, um, he kind of snaps. Now, it, again, great art by uh, Capullo there after this 
denizen of, of hell has ripped the flesh off of his face, what, what chewed bumblegum flesh there was, to reveal an even more horrifying visage, uh, he, he decides to fight back. We're told that, you know, the adrenaline has been released. Uh, once again, he's exhibiting the true spirit of a warrior. Um, and he basically uh, escapes from the spike that they have him imprisoned on and then uses that spike to impale the monster that ripped off and ate his face. Uh, and then when that happens, I guess uh, he has passed the test uh, and he disappears. Uh, he evaporates out of level two. So meanwhile, uh, Malbolgia is watching on. And uh, like I said, it very much was a test, as Malbolgia says, perfect. Everything's going just as I planned. He passed the first test. A few more pieces and my Grim Reaper will be ready. Uh, enjoy your next level, Simmons. And uh, one last peek in at the domestic bliss of um, Terry and Wanda and Cyan. And she's at a birthday party. And... When it's time to leave, she grabs a balloon and lo and behold, who is it but uh, the violator in his clown form, giving out, giving out balloons, um, saying, I'll see you soon. So even without even with Al gone, uh, they still can't escape the machinations of uh, of the violator. So uh, a big issue. A lot happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I it's so interesting because, you know, early on. It was so much about jumping back and forth between storylines. Like, yeah, you'd be focusing on sort of the street level stuff in New York against the mafia or against Jason Wynn or Sam and Twitch. And then we get a few issues of that. And then we jump over and we'd have, uh, okay, now here's all the supernatural stuff. And it, it flip-flopped back and forth like that for a while. And then it seemed like McFarland sort of got his footing and we would get, you know, multiple same stuff or, or different stuff in the same issue. You know, we get some supernatural stuff and some street level stuff. We touch on a lot of the different storylines. What's interesting about 50, it's this oversized issue. The first half is very much kind of the, almost the street level stuff, the domestic stuff, the triangle between Al and Terry and Wanda. And then the second half is more of the, um, the supernatural things. But even in the supernatural second half, he still throws in a few things for, for other storylines. So it's almost like, he wants to keep everything moving um, and not, you know, neglect one or the other. So like I was saying earlier, I think it, it very much shows his evolution as a writer. Um, and I, I don't think that he gets enough credit for being a, a pretty damn good writer. Uh, you know, there's vast improvement. If you go and read the first issue and read this issue, there's vast improvement just in the way the, the narrative flows. He's not as expositional, you know, he's not telling us things we can see for ourselves in the art. So yeah, I think this stuff really holds up. And this was a big issue. A lot happened. We found out Cog was a spawn. Terry is acknowledging that, you know, Al is back. You know, he does make that realization, especially after talking to Grandma Blake. Um, spawn has made some evolutions in terms of his look with his face being ripped off in terms of making the sacrifice for Terry. And Malbulge's uh, machinations or motivations seem to be coming to the fore as well. So it, this issue was a big issue. A lot happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, the issue's title was Choices. And I think we finally see Al making some significant choices. He, if I remember correctly, it's been a while, but 
I remember there was a stint where he was kind of trapped in this, this mire of just self-deprecation and loathing where he wasn't really active in the story. It's more like things were just kind of happening to him Mm -hmm. and then he would just be sad by the end. And, you know, he wasn't really participating in any capacity of the story, but he's like the headline character. And I feel like this issue kind of snapped him out of that where it's like, okay, he actually did something. He made a choice. He didn't have to make the choice. He could have just sat back and, and let it happen but he deliberately did it even though he knew that there would be consequences for that choice. And now we're going to see what he's going to go through, you know, in like, like he may, he may not have known the consequences in their full capacity uh, when he decided to save Terry, but he knew that he was going to hell. And when you make the choice to save someone knowing that you're going to go to hell, that, that shows a certain amount of compassion and feeling towards that person. And like we were talking about before, his motivation is clearly Wanda. So this just reaffirms that he loves Wanda so much that even though he's already been to hell, he's willing to go back to hell to make her happy. Yeah. It's a, it's a great point because certainly, you know, starting around issue 40 and maybe 46 or seven before we start building up to 50, yeah, you're right. It's all about Al reacting. He He's not being proactive at all. He's just, you know, he almost doesn't get a chance to catch his breath. It's just one thing after another. And he, he's got no agency. He's got no control. And, and even Cogliostro in the story is like, you need to man up. You need to take control. You need to, you know, stop letting your costume run your life. You know, educate yourself, learn about what it means to be a hellspawn. You're just letting all this stuff happen to you. And it's like, yeah, he makes the sacrifice and it is 100 percent for Wanda. At least it seems that way on the surface. So that's even what what he knows. And it might not be something that McFarlane was really aware of when he wrote it. But you can definitely look at it from the perspective of Al's making a choice. That choice is going to lead him to going back to hell, which is obviously horrific. So, yes, it does show a great love for Wanda. But if you do flip it around and look at it from any sort of selfish reason or, you know, way that it benefits Al is at least he's taking charge. You know, at least he's not letting something happen to him. He's not letting himself be sent to hell because he's used his powers because things keep attacking him, whatever. At least he's making a conscious choice. Like if I'm going to go to hell, at least I'm going to go on my own terms. I'm going to save Terry. I'm going to help Wanda out. You know, at least he's he's doing something instead of allowing things to be done to him. So it is an interesting perspective to, to flip it around that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, some fun facts uh, about this. I mean, anyone can see the uh, the cover of issue 50 is a callback to issue number one. It's stylized the same way, but it's in Greg Capullo's, uh, you know, very distinguished uh, art style and his costume is updated to what it looks like now versus what it looked like in those first couple issues before the suit had evolved. So just kind of a, you know, a cool visual callback. Um, I love Greg Capullo. I wish he was still the artist. He's such a good, good artist. And, you know, the first hundred issues where him and Todd were doing everything, it it just looks so good. It's definitely like the iconic style of the series. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, the art is is fantastic throughout. And even though, you know, the first half is is McFarlane, second half is Capullo. You know, I've, I've talked a lot about how when you go and look at the early Capullo issues of, of Spawn, you can see Capullo's art kind of morph into uh, a style that gets closer to what McFarlane's is. But mm-hmm. it's still it's still distinctive. I can still yeah. tell the difference between the two. I know a lot of people can't. Um, but like if you look at it. What be, what's pretty obvious to me is the uh, McFarland pages, the anatomy tends to be a little more exaggerated and the Capullo tends to be less. Although, like I said, the Capullo uh, anatomy does get more similar to what McFarland's is as, you know, a, as he's gone on and done yeah. more and more issues. He, he, his style is a little more realistic in terms of anatomy and layouts and whatnot. If you go back and look at his earliest issues, but yeah, I mean, it's one thing we've always said about spawn every issue. It's always been fantastic artwork and fantastic color work. And, and this issue is no exception to that. I mean, just look at that splash page right there when it's uh, so good his face is ripped off. Yeah. It's uh, so good. It's fantastic. So, uh, all right. Any last thoughts, Blank, as we uh, finish up here? Yeah, I had a, uh... One other fun fact, the uh, the splash page uh, full panel piece for part two of this issue, um, it's very purple and red with the fire as Al's like descending into hell. That uh, is actually... Is it this, uh, this one here? Yep, that one right there. Gotcha. The, uh, who was it? Uh, a band called Iced Earth. They're a metal band they actually talked to Todd McFarlane and um, they got to do a whole concept album where it tells like the story and each song is like a little bit of uh, the story of Spawn. The album's called The Dark Saga and they use this page, this panel as, uh, as the album cover. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a pretty good album. The lyrics are uh, pretty spot on. Uh, if metal music's your thing, check them out. They're, they're pretty good at the very least. It's more spawn content and you can't (laughs) argue with that. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, well, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Uh, my thanks to Blake for joining. He'll probably be on a a few more episodes here. I think we'll do a a marathon in the interest of full disclosure. We'll we'll, uh, (laughs) record a few episodes back to back. You guys will be getting them on uh, consecutive days later this week. Um, so definitely go and check out the reading order. It's in the show notes, just a Google doc very comprehensive uh, we appreciate you guys uh, joining us don't forget that there's going to be plenty of other ancillary content for the other um, stuff like curse of spawn and salmon twitch and all that stuff like like blake mentioned and there may be well there will be those episodes will have more than one issue but when it comes to the regular spawn series we'll always keep it to one issue per episode so uh, based on the download numbers you guys are loving uh, this trip down memory lane to celebrate the 30th anniversary of spawn with us so uh, we want to thank you for joining as always and we will talk to you next time you can find the comic source podcast on spotify apple podcast stitcher google play or whichever podcasting app you prefer please tell all your friends about us subscribe and rate us the ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners especially five-star reviews on apple Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. 
All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.